Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss King Crimson. Part 2. What you are about to hear is deeply disturbing. Ian MacDonald, obviously with Foreigner, Greg Lake was with Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Peter Giles has been outside of music for nine years, ten years. Then Mel Collins played saxophone on the Rolling Stones' Some Girls. Zian Wallace was Bob Dylan's drummer. Boz Barrel with Bad Company. David Cross bought a bicycle and cycled across Southern Ireland with his violin. I've not seen of him, seen or heard of him since. Uh, Jamie Muir is a monk, Order of Tibet. He left King Crimson to become a monk and remains so. And John with UK and Bill with Bruford. There you have it. I would view this drive to 1981 as being a personal discipline. Robert Fripp had put together a band with Bill Bruford, and they picked up uh, Tony Levin, who's this incredible bass player, as we'll talk about, and Adrian Ballou. And Adrian Ballou had played with Bowie and Zappa. He had his own band. He was really key in the best era of the Talking Heads. Weymouth and Chris France from Talking Heads went to Baloo and suggested that maybe he could replace David Byrne as the band's frontman, which is really interesting. And uh, apparently he turned him down and then screwed Adrian Blue out of some royalties. So that whole era kind of came crashing down.
love that stuff. And so that kind of fed into the King Crimson thing, the new King Crimson, the four-piece. They had elements of new wave, and they definitely sounded more modern. But you go back and listen to those records, and they are not dated in an 80s kind of way at all. Kudasa is somewhat of a, a ballad, but it's really beautiful. But they put out these three albums, and I really like them. They all go together. They're, they're really uh, a unit. Again, struggling for lyrics sometimes, and Adrian Blue singing very much like David Byrne from Talking Heads. Really interesting results. A lot of, uh, like I said, that kind of African rhythm that was brought in, not only from Bill Bruford, but also from Adrian Blue's time with Talking Heads. Rhett Davies, the producer, I really love. He has brought this kind of era together. It made them somewhat commercial, but not at all sell-out commercials, just perfect for the times.
Adrian Blue is telling a story and talking into a cassette and being out in the city he gets accosted by a gang of people and later the police and it's like in both cases it almost seemed like the cassette or the recordings he was making was just drawing harassment from every corner. At this point, it just sounded like they were just breaking all the rules. Song structures, content of songs, the way they were doing songs. You have songs on this album that are lyrically just words tossed out alphabetically that have something to do with the word talk or discussion. Crimson album I actually owned was Beat.
came out after Discipline in 82. Kind of a cool cover, uh, just simple. It went with the Burgundy Red Discipline album cover, and then ultimately three of a perfect pair. So you had the uh, red, blue, and yellow basics of the group. But ultimately, I think Beat is a little hampered as being a second album, the group out being out in the tour, and, and they never seem to really build time into writing songs the way that a lot of bands would do. And so they're kind of having to grab bits and pieces where they can, and that's kind of always been something that's been done in, in the group. But in this case, I, I thought that generally it's a weaker album than, than Discipline. really comes out here is when you listen to Tony Levin playing bass in the Chapman Stick. Now the Chapman Stick, for people who don't know, is this wide kind of fretboard of a guitar, maybe the width of two or three fretboards, and then the length of average guitar or bass. But you play it entirely different. You play the strings more like a piano. You're fretting it with your fingers, not really strumming it anywhere. Tony Levin owns this instrument.
then uh, Three of a Perfect Pair comes out in 84, and this is the first King Crimson I ever bought off the shelves while it was still new.
In this one, they're kind of bridging the gap. You have the group being primarily instrumental and more oblique on the second side, and the first side is much more of the kind of album that they had been doing the last couple of years. So at the end of these three albums, Robert Fripp breaks up the band again, and then they go into a period for a while of, you know, re-releases and such, but one of the best things that came out was this live album. It was a box set called The Great Deceiver. This is an improvised piece of music, which is completely at the top of our heads. Your enthusiasm is encouraged. Thank you. 
And this is where I think Fripp kind of went back to the original incarnations of the band and rediscovered what he liked about them. I think for a while he thought they were out of step with the times. He's always out of step with the times. He's always ahead. During this time period is when they put out compilation albums uh, and the live one. And I was picking up a few bootlegs here and there, but this is really where the live aspect of their recordings gets so much better. They had put out two live albums in the earlier part of their careers in the 70s, and both honestly sounded like crap, especially at the time. I had the USA album. It just wasn't a good recording. So on Great Deceiver and future live albums that would came up, it was so much more enjoyable. And then you really got to hear where the good ideas came from as far as taking improvisations in the studio and turning them into real songs later on. Then we get back into mid-90s, I guess, and Fripp puts together King Crimson again. Only this time, it's the 80s lineup, the four core members, Fripp, Ballou, Tony Love, and Bill Bruford. But then they add in another drummer and another Chapman stick player for whatever reason. I think bands with more than four or five guys just uh, just get the identity of the band is lost because it's spread out so much. And this kind of format continues for a little while where they have extra guys in the band and they're coming and going. The songs seem compromised in some way. Uh, too many cooks in the kitchen with this. The power to be And then ultimately ended up with an album called Construction of Light, which was the first album not to have Bill Bruford on it in ages. It didn't have Tony Levin on it. <laughs> 
they got into a period where I couldn't quite tell the difference between the EPs and the albums. I didn't know who was in the band. I didn't understand the formula between what they were trying to do. And, you know, ultimately came down to the power to believe in 2003 was really the last actual King Crimson album to date that I know of because it just got to be so confusing about who was in the band, who was out of the band. Were they going to have six drummers and three bass players? And to me, I guess if it's got Robert Fripp, it's always going to be King Crimson. But I would love to see them get back to the stripped down philosophy of of what they had done occasionally when they needed a, a new change in direction at this point it's so much stuff to take in so if you had to pick up the high points and you were only interested in picking the high points definitely first album starless and bible black red and discipline would be the ones i would call out for you to have those albums are all essential to show you how I take the crowd with my guitar and businessmen would clap their hands and clip another fat cigar and publishers would spread the news and print my music far and wide all the kids who play the blues would learn my licks with a bottleneck slide Now it seems the bubbles burst Though you know there was a time Love song gathered in my head Poetry in every line Strong men strove to hold the doors With my friends I passed that each people stomped on dirty floors before I tried rock and roll stairs.
Podcast has been produced by Donnie Shattuck. I want to say hey to uh, Harry Nagel from a band called Monday Favors, and he sent me a real nice note. We seem to be on the same wavelength as far as music that we like and our general attitude and philosophy towards music. Monday favors from their 2015 album, The Tongue That Licks, The Teeth That Bite. Look for the new Monday favors album, Weirdo Messy, out this spring. You can find those releases and other Harry Nagel albums on YouTube, CD Baby, and iTunes. <laughs>